the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, today on Abounding Grace, we close out the week with a final look at Chapter 19 of Revelation, the threefold hallelujah over the fall of Babylon. Join us for an encouraging look at God's Word next. Hi there and welcome. This is Abounding Grace, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. If you'd like to know more about us, we would invite you to visit our website, reformedheritage.org. Currently, Pastor Gary Wagner is taking us through Revelation. We're in chapter 19 today as we have a, another look at the Hallelujah Chorus uttered by the saints at the fall of Babylon. It is the rejoicing that goes on from the fall of this Babylon. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. They said, Rahab, do you have any Israeli soldiers in your apartment? And she flat out said to the glory of God, no. Now, was that a statement that was true? In Old Testament times, true meant faithful. It did not mean to speak in accordance with the facts. What if she had said to the Jericho police when they asked her, do you have any Israelite spies in your apartment? And she said, I cannot tell a lie. Yes, I do. Would she have been true? Would she have been faithful to her covenant brothers? She would not have been. And God blessed her for it. In fact, the book of James says that the proof that her faith was real was her deceiving the enemy and being truthful or being faithful. So this first hallelujah is an outburst of praise for God's righteousness and for his truthfulness. That is God's faithfulness. The judgment upon Rome was a righteous act. It was not more than Rome deserved. It was in strict accord with God's perfect justice. And it was a faithful act. How was the destruction of Rome a display of God's faithfulness? Or the destruction of any civilization that has abused God's people? How has it been faithful? It's been righteous Because his judgment is always in strict accord with his justice. But how has it been faithful? It has been faithful in the first thing God said to Abraham in Genesis 12. When he set up his covenant with him. Among other things in Genesis 12. God said to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. So now God is cursing Rome just as he promised. He is blessing his people in the removal of this major obstacle, the removal of their oppressors. But he is also being faithful in that he is cursing those who cursed his people. 
And throughout the book of Revelation, it is God alone who brings salvation by his power and by his righteousness and for his glory. It says in verse 1, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Not to Caesar, but to God. Salvation, Rome thought it could provide. Anyone who would submit to Rome could experience cultural salvation, they said. But salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because His judgments are always faithful and always righteous. For He has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and He has avenged the blood of His bondservants on her. Then there is a second hallelujah. And that goes down through to verse 4. And a second time they said hallelujah. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying amen hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, give praise to our God, all of you, his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. So here is a second hallelujah chorus. Now, have you noticed the very significant role that the elders play in the book of Revelation? They are representatives of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the fourth and fifth chapters, the elders are sitting around the throne of God, singing his praises. And now here you have the elders leading this hallelujah chorus and why are they saying hallelujah the smoke of Rome rises up forever and ever and that is not only Rome but that is any culture that is built on rebellion against God and refuses to repent its smoke shall rise and fill the sky forever and ever and you know that shows a great perception on the part of these elders they understood what John had been talking about. It shows great courage for them to say such a thing and about, their, uh, uh, about the power uh, and light of, of, in light of Rome because Rome was still in power when this was being said. It says something about their joy in the collapse of Rome. Can you imagine what the Romans thought of this? And what do you see in these elders leading the chorus? We see that elders are to lead the way for the church in its response to a fallen culture. The elders must be perceptive. They must watch as to what's going on in the culture and be able to educate the flock with reference to what is going on in that culture and what the tendencies may be. They must know the word of God and be able to lead the church in its rejoicing against the fall of the beast. Elders are not to be in the background. They are to be in the forefront, leading the way for the church in its response and duties, culturally, socially, and politically. And notice it says, all of God's people from the small to the great, they are all called to live lives of praise to Almighty God. And notice what these Christians are called. They're called bond servants and actually that's a nice way of saying it they are really God's bond 
slaves. They have been liberated from slavery to sin, and now they enjoy the freedom of being a slave to Almighty God. Notice now what God has called at least three times in verse 1. First in verse 1, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Verse 5, a voice came from the throne, give praise to our Lord, all, all, all you his bondservants. Verse 6, the last line, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Beloved, this is covenant language, and I really want you to see this. This is what you read in the book of Psalms where you see God's people called his bond servants, his bond slaves. And where the Lord God Almighty is called our Lord over and over again. So here you see the historical fulfillment of the covenant of grace in time and in history with the fall of Jerusalem and Rome. And that is the way we need to read history. That's the way to read your newspaper. When you see things happen, ask yourself, how is this a fulfillment of that covenant that God has established with his people? He said he would bless those who are good to the church of God, and he said he would curse those who treat the church of God badly. So read history and watch the rise and fall of nations on your sources of media because... What we see in history is always the fulfillment of God's covenant with his people. Then in verse 6, we have the third hallelujah. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude. Now again, he is impressing his readers with the fact that this is just not a small number. A voice of great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad, and give the glory to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Now notice the theme of this hallelujah. Number one, the Lord of the covenant has manifested his glory in redemptive judgment. The Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. He is bringing judgment upon his enemies. He is displaying his faithfulness and his truthfulness, and he has already entered into his glorious reign. Verse 6 is a great verse to read to people who say, Satan is the one who reigns now. And God will not reign until eternity. Hallelujah for the Lord God, our God, present tense, already reigns with all of his unlimited power. And remember, when a verb is in the present tense in Greek, it denotes continuous action. He is reigning and reigning and reigning. Hallelujah for the Lord God, the covenant God, the omnipotent God reigns over all the Caesars of Rome. Let all the glory go to him and let us rejoice. Because thirdly, the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And we'll come back to that marriage supper in a minute. I want you to see something about this massive amount of people who are praising the Lord throughout this whole section. 
Turn with me, if you will, to Jeremiah 31, 34. If you're not familiar with this, you're going to see this is absolutely amazing. In Jeremiah 31, you have the prophecy of the new covenant several hundred years before Christ came and put that new covenant into place. And you see the various promises that God says he's going to fulfill during the covenant. And here is one. And it is very interesting. Jeremiah 31, 34. And they shall not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will, I will know no more. Throughout our passage, you see John, the author of Revelation, talking about this massive number of people that were praising God in the first century and continue to praise God every time evil cultures fall. Because there is this prophecy that instead of numbers of the people of God shriveling up in history, the number of people of God continues to increase throughout history. Our number will be greater and greater until it outnumbers the sand of the seashore and the stars of the sky. Now, this particular prophecy in Jeremiah 31, 34 says, there is coming a time when no one will teach his neighbor or his brother any longer, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. What is he saying? He's saying there is coming a time on earth when you're going to witness to someone, when Christians are going to evangelize and they are going to want to find some lost people to bear witness to about Christ and it will be impossible to find anyone who is lost. Do you see that? Right now, you can go out here anywhere and you don't have to go very far to start witnessing. You ask people if they know the Lord. Some will say, yeah, sort of. Others will say, no, or I don't care, or whatever it may be. But there is coming a time when this number of God's people, a multitude, continues to grow until when you try to find someone to witness to and say, do you know the Lord? Are you a Christian? The answer will be, yes, I am. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. So here you have these three great hallelujah choruses that John is singing while Rome is still in power. The Lord God omnipotent reigns while Caesar sits on the throne of Rome. That is a pretty courageous thing to say, don't you think? It is not Caesar who reigns. It's not God, it's not Caesar who rules as far as John is concerned. But is the Lord God Almighty that rules? He even rules the Caesars. Now this married supper of the Lamb, verses 7 through 10. Now let me read those to you once again. <clears throat> Chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. Let us rejoice and be glad 
and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has been has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we have these hallelujah courses that are full of the joy over God's judgment upon the Roman Empire or any culture, of course, that's in rebellion against him. And the last of those hallelujahs includes a rejoicing that the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. Now, remember, all of these are figures of speech. They're imagery. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, what does this imagery of the marriage supper refer to? We cannot read into it what we think it means. We must go back and find out what in the Bible would help us understand what this supper is about that those who come out of the fall of Rome are rejoicing over. Well, let's talk about marriage for just a second. There's a great deal about marriage in the Bible. And marriage at heart is a union and communion between a man and a woman being one flesh. Then in the New Testament, marriage is used as a symbol for our union and our communion and our becoming one flesh with the Lord Jesus Christ. Supper or meals have played a very important role in the teaching of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Isaiah 25, it talks about a great meal on Mount Zion that has been set up for the faithful people of God. And it's talking there about their salvation. And in the New Testament, Jesus uses parables about great suppers or feasts and marriage receptions and the like to illustrate the joy and the life there is in his kingdom. So suppers and meals represent fellowship, communion, unity, and kingdom festivities. So now what is this marriage supper of the Lamb? Well, we know who the Lamb is. He's played a very central role throughout the book of Revelation. And he is, of course, the crucified and reigning Jesus Christ. And the marriage supper of the Lamb then appears to be the Lord's Supper. What does the Lord's Supper symbolize? It symbolizes our marriage to Christ. And it is based upon his redemptive work. We are to remember the Lord's death until he comes. It is a symbol of our communion and fellowship with God now and through eternity. So this hallelujah is saying that even now, God has given us a means whereby we can celebrate together as God's people the victory we have over God's enemies. And that is a foretaste to use the old hymn of a glory divine. That someday, that communion, that fellowship in heaven will be perfect. 
but we can taste it now. I love what Calvin called communion. I wish Larry Bonaldi was here. Calvin called the Lord's Supper antepasta. And antepasta in an Italian restaurant is what you eat to make you hungry for the pasta, to get your mouth all watery for that pasta dish that's about to come. It is a foretaste. So here you see the Lord's Supper presented as the antipasta, as a foretaste, as a means now where the church of the Lord Jesus Christ gathers together to celebrate the victory of Christ over all of his enemies and ours. And we give testimony to the world that we share communion and unity and fellowship with each other. Now notice who is allowed to come to this marriage supper. Verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his bride, that is of course the church, has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself. That is, she didn't produce these clothes for herself. And this is called a divine passive. It is not that, that she did this for herself, but God did it for her. The subject is not acting in the passive, it is being active upon. And we really need to hear this in the Reformed faith. Because it is the Lord that acts on us. This is again another proof for us, beloved. We don't, nor can we, take the initiative here. Well, here in this passage, you have the same type of idea. It was given to her. That is the bride. And here is why she is ready. She was properly clothed for this marriage feast. But the clothing that she had on was not something that she produced. It was fine linen, bright and clean, but she did not make this outfit. It was provided for her. And the fine linen represents the justification of the saints. Now, isn't that beautiful imagery of what justification is? In order for us to be accepted with God, we have to be clothed with God's righteousness, which we do not produce. God's righteousness must be credited to us. We can't produce this, and on the basis of that credited righteousness, we are then accepted to God's marriage feast. And here it is in a beautiful metaphor. What was it that made the bride ready for this great feast? Celebrating her union with Christ and, and her and Christ's victory over all of her enemies? It was the clothing of righteousness provided for her by God and not something we produce. As we have seen throughout the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ alone is our salvation and our victor. So, beloved, along with the realms of heaven, sing out rejoicing. Hallelujah. God reigns. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of the crucified, reigning, triumphant, almighty Christ and his covenant with his people and his fellowship with them so clearly revealed in this passage. 
We live in a dangerous world, but we know in this world the Lord Christ omnipotent reigns. And we find great comfort in thee, O Lord. We thank you that fallible man doesn't reign, but you are in complete control. You have everything in hand. Nothing can go wrong. So we today gather to this foretaste of perfect communion with you in heaven in the Lord's Supper. And we celebrate our union with Christ and our victory in him. Thank you for the fine linen with which you have clothed us. That we might stand accepted with you throughout all eternity. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 40. 408- 5607 That's 408-866-5607. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB, that stands for Post Mailbox, number 402-1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. (music) 